Well, good morning. How are you guys doing with the Christmas season? I, I know it's a, it's a big thing, to, and I don't really get off on this too much, but it's a big thing today, I guess, about what to say as a matter of greeting with people today, whether you can say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, which is sort of the, well, sort of the expression du jour today. Um, and I don't, you know, I hear a lot of stuff about it, but I, and I really don't get off too much, but something happened in senior team meeting on Tuesday morning that I thought, well, I just can't pass it up. One of my senior team was in a store this week, and he said Merry Christmas, and the clerk lectured him that that was wrong, that that was inappropriate. She told him that he should say Happy Holidays, not Merry Christmas. And he was a customer. You know, that's the deal that sort of got to me a little bit, you know. He's the customer, and you got someone who works for a store lecturing him, telling him that he shouldn't say Merry Christmas. And so that, that, that sort of did it for me and uh, pushed me over the edge. And, and I think that probably it was that plus what happened in conjunction with the story that my wife uh, called to my attention. It seems that the Fort Worth, Texas Independent School District has sort of outlawed Christmas completely uh, from, from the school district there. And, and I actually like looked at some of the ancillary uh, press releases that came out of that. And, and here's, what I, here's what I discovered. The district spokesman said the reasons... But they've outlawed Christmas at, in Fort Worth at, at school is that it's twofold. He said, classroom time should be reserved for learning. Well, that was, I didn't know that that's how they felt in Fort Worth, so I was glad to hear that. <laughs> and the district doesn't want to alienate non-Christian students. And he went on to say, we have students and parents who don't see Santa Claus as the icon for this time of year. So we have to be concerned about what their feelings are. Also... We have precious little time with our children to begin with and to get across a tremendous amount of educational information. That's our primary job. So what that means is that students will not be allowed to exchange gifts or distribute personal holiday messages during class this year. They have made a couple of adjustments to that. They've decided, number one, that students could exchange personal Christmas greetings outside of the classroom, which was none of their business in the first place. And then they've given Santa Claus a reprieve. It seems that they got so much pressure from the Star Telegram and, and parents, they've decided that Santa Claus maybe is, is sanitized and okay, and they've allowed him back in. So let me just tell you what really freaks me out, and the reason why that was so upsetting to me is you have to understand the Fort Worth Independent School District is my district. That's where I was educated. I went to Forest Hill Elementary School, Forest Oak Middle School, and graduated from Odie White High School, all in Fort Worth Independent School District. And so having, having, having done that, Having, having gone through that school district and thinking back on my past years, I think it's appropriate for me in a public forum, since I'm a public person, to make some public apologies because I have clearly done some things in that school district um, with the um, assistance of teachers and coaches. I've done some things that clearly hampered education were outside the purview of the Constitution, maybe even unconstitutional, and clearly were offensive. So I just want to publicly go on record and tell you some things that I did that were wrong. For one thing, for all 12 years, we had Christmas parties in Fort Worth Independent District, School District. I did that. I just want you to know I did it. I own up to it. <laughs> From the fourth grade to the 12th grade, in just about every, every, well, in fact, every, all those years, I picked up my trumpet and I played Christmas carols. At the, at the, at, and, and, and I just feel terrible about that, just, just thinking about that. Um, and <laughs> no, this is unconstitutional, and I don't know where I should turn myself in, but in the third grade, I was a shepherd, 
in the nativity scene. And I have no idea where the teachers are who put that on, but clearly they did not know. They were hampering education, <laughs> offending people, and they were unconstitutional. When I was a junior in high school, I was in a German class, and we walked through the halls and sang Christmas carols in German to thousands of high school students at O.D. Wyatt. It's a good thing we sang in German because they probably were not quite as offended as they would have been. But here is the worst one of all, and I actually have my wife find this for me. When I was in the eighth grade at Forest Oak Middle School, I was asked to read the Christmas story out of oh, the Bible. I had asked my parents for a Christmas gift. This is a, a, it's a Morocco leather, probably one of the finest leather bindings in all time. And when I was 13, I asked my parents for this as a Christmas gift. My dad let me open this on the 13th of December, so I would have it in time. And I, I looked it up, and I still have it marked in this Bible that I read from. Um, when I was in the eighth grade, I read the Christmas story. And I got to tell you, I was also asked to read the Easter story later on, the resurrection story. And I read it to three assemblies, the sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade. I've been in multiple services for years. So, uh, <laughs> I just feel so bad about all that. It just got in the way of all that. You know, the fact of the matter is, I got a marvelous education. I got a great public school education. And I'm so thankful for the teachers and coaches and leaders at, in Fort Worth Independent School District who helped shape me. And I'm grateful for it. You know, of course, I'm, I'm making this, these comments in absurdity. This is ridiculous. This has nothing to do with the Constitution. This has absolutely nothing to do with education. This has to do with what John talked about in 1 John chapter 4, 3. And I love the way the message has it. He says, this is the spirit of anti-Christ. It's not anti-religion. It's anti-Christ that you heard was coming. Well, here it is, sooner than we thought. In other words, anti-Christ is not here, but there's already a spirit of anti-Christ. And, and somebody can say, well, Mark, you just don't understand it. You're, you're a throwback, you're archaic, um, you're insensitive, and I'm probably guilty on all three counts. But let me ask you a question. Let's just say that you go along with this and you just say, I just think we should not offend anybody and we should just say happy holidays. Because and here's, the here's the prevailing thought. Somebody help me if I've misunderstood this. The prevailing thought is we're at the end of the year. There are many holidays. Why single out Christmas? Because after all, you have Thanksgiving, you have Christmas, you have New Year's, you have Hanukkah, you have Kwanzaa. You have all these holidays at the end of the year. Let's just, let's just put them all in a sack, shake them up, and call them happy holidays. It's the gifts thing that freaks me out. Because it, let me just ask you, if that's really the case, what about, what's the gift deal? Because the fact of the matter is we don't open gifts at Thanksgiving. We don't even start buying them until Black Friday, which is after Thanksgiving. Who waits till New Year's to open them up? Hanukkah fact, factually is sort of only a mid to lower level Jewish holiday. It's not even one of the major Jewish holidays. Kwanzaa was invented by a black nationalist in 1966 as an alternative to Christmas. But most African Americans are Christians and they also celebrate Christmas and they give Christmas gifts. You see what I'm saying? This is all a construct. This is all is something. This all is made up stuff. And, and here's the thing that gets to me. In our culture today, it's like Americans are like bobble-headed dolls. It's like the meteor pop culture tells us something and we, we just go right along with it. <laughs> I 
Our series is called Gifts, and it's about Christmas. And I don't know when Jesus was born. I don't know if he's born in December or April. I don't really know. It's not an important factor to me. What is important is that he did come into the world. And when he came into the world, he came bringing gifts. And that's what the series is all about. That's why week one we talked about God's gift of joy. The, the wise men, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. God wants to give you joy. You may not always have happiness, but you can always have joy. Last week I had a wonderful time talking to you about Joseph and how that God gives us the gift of purpose and how he gives it to us is installments of opportunities. And we may not see the purpose, but we embrace those opportunities and then we turn around and look back and we see that God had a great purpose for our lives. But today I want to talk to you about the giver of gifts because after all, the reason why we give gifts is Jesus. Jesus is not one on a shelf among many. Jesus is Jesus. And he is all by himself. Because here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Next week I'm going to talk to you about Mary. And I can't wait to bring that talk because I love Mary. She's an awesome woman. And we're going to talk about God's gift of favor as we discover the life of Mary. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the baby in the manger, Jesus. And we're going to talk about the gift of life. But when we think about God bringing Jesus into our world, he gave him to us. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. George Frederick Handel, when he wrote the, the, the music to the Messiah, a friend had given him Old Testament prophecies about Jesus coming into our world. And how many of us have enjoyed that beautiful song, that beautiful um, hymn, in fact, from the Messiah, unto us a child is born, for unto us a child is born. Well, this weekend, I want to read you the Christmas story. In fact, I'm going to pull the same story that I read to Forest Oak Middle School. Well, I'm not going to tell you how many years ago. Let's just say it was a while back. And I want, you, I want to show you a wonderful gift that God has for you and me today. Okay, here we go. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. That will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah of the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger or in a feeding trough. That would be a sign. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest in heaven. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. There's the gift today. Peace. Peace on earth. It doesn't mean peace to everybody on earth, but it means that you and I can have the gift of peace. All right, let's, let's take the story apart, and then we'll see how it all works out. First of all, you know, we've heard the Christmas story, most of us, since we've been children. And we sort of accept it. But I want you to think about the odd juxtaposition of angels hanging out with shepherds. Because angels are heaven's elite, and shepherds were sort of the human cast-offs. They were at the bottom of the economic ladder. And so the angels come to celebrate with the shepherds. Now, time out for a moment. I think sometimes we have the idea that earth is the place to be, and heaven is some remote outpost in the universe. We've got that exactly backward. Heaven is a place to be. We're the ones living on the remote outpost in the universe. Heaven is an awesome place. And there have been angels. God's, God has created angels. They are glorious beings. Someday we might even do a series on angels. Angels are glorious beings that God has created to do his work. They work for him. 
They are heavenly messengers, and they're extraordinarily awesome. But what's happening in Luke chapter 2 is the angels are celebrating. They are partying. They are going nuts. And, and here is something that will help us understand why the angels are behaving as they're behaving in Luke chapter 2. You know, nobody knows how to celebrate like people who have been through bad times. Some of you have a good marriage today, and you celebrate that marriage because you, you, you know how to celebrate it because you had a bad marriage before. Some of you have good health today, and you know how to celebrate good health because you've had bad health before. Some of you have got a good job, and you know how to celebrate a good job because you've had a bad job or no job before. There's just something about people who have been through hard times who know how to celebrate good times when they come about. And you should know that that night when the angels celebrated the birth of Jesus, they had been through some bad experiences. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had to sit behind a television or in a stadium and watch your team lose right in front of your face and there's nothing you can do about it? What am I saying? We're, these, we're Kansas City Chief fans. <laughs> and I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, so it's just misery talking to misery. You yell at the TV, you know, you, you, what are you thinking? You know, you ask the coach and all this, but it, it's just, you're watching it happen. There's nothing you can do about it. What you should understand is the angels had watched some things play out from heaven and it, it was just bad stuff. And it was like their team seemed to be losing the game and there was nothing they can do about it. For instance, before the world was ever created, they watched one of their own, Lucifer, who was the most beautiful of all the angels. They watched him rebel against God. Lucifer said, why should God get all the props? Why should he get all the worship? I need to be worshiped. And the angels watched as not only Lucifer rebelled against God, but a third of their friends also rebelled against God. And they watched as God thumped him out of heaven. Man, no doubt, if, I don't know if angels cried, but they must have been sad as they watched their friends rebel against God and get kicked out of heaven. And then they watched God make a wonderful earth, put two human beings on the earth, Adam and Eve. They knew God had an awesome plan. God wanted a big family. God put these two people in a perfect place, and the angels watched. But then they saw Lucifer show up, Satan show up, and talk to Eve. And no doubt the angels like you and I, when we're watching our favorite team lose, and we're watching players do stupid things, and we scream at the television, no doubt the angels were saying, Eve, please don't listen to him. We watched him. We watched our friends go down. Eve, please don't listen to him. Adam, don't do it. But they watched the team lose that day. And they watched it happen over and over with people that they got their hopes up with, that they were good people. But they watched Noah get drunk and embarrass himself and his family. They watched David as David had an affair with his next door neighbor, had her husband whacked. I mean, you go through history and the angels just kept watching over and over and over as people fell. Thousands of years of watching people's failure. But they knew God had a plan. You see, here's the thing. The angels, the Bible says, I don't have this verse for you, but there's a verse in the New Testament where the Bible says the angels desire to look into God's plan of salvation. They're intrigued by it. Because, see, they weren't offered a plan of salvation. The angels that rebelled, they never got another chance. But the angels knew that God wanted to give human beings another chance. And he had a plan to do it. And the angels were just, they were so excited about God's plan. And they knew the person who was going to be the plan because after all, he was the son of God. He was the second member of the Trinity. They loved him. They worshiped him. They knew him well. They understood 
to some effect that the plan would be that he would come into the world, take on human flesh, live lives that we can't live, then turn around and die a death that would be the payment for all our sins. They understood the plan. Don't know why Gabriel seemed to get all the favor there, but he did. Seems that Gabriel was always the one to go down and carry a message. So the angels watch as Gabriel goes down and tells Mary, hey, you're going to have a baby. And the angels are saying, okay, here we go. And then, you know, Mary begins to show. And the angels are saying, hmm. And then there's Caesar's decree that everybody needs to go to Bethlehem. After all, Jesus needs to be born in the city of his father David, you know, the son of David, king on the throne. The angels are saying, Here's, there's Joseph, there's Mary. They're going. They're, they're, and, and, you know, you can imagine how excited they were. Most likely, and here's the thing, they finally get to the stable, and, and I can't prove this. I really cannot prove this. It's just a personal opinion on my point, part, and I want you to know that before I, before I say it. We get to heaven, we may find out I'm wrong. But I think that the first angel talked to the shepherds right before Jesus was born. I don't think Jesus was born quite yet. I think it was maybe minutes, maybe seconds leading up to it. One angel got the responsibility of going to talk to the shepherds. And the angel came and he gave the message that we read a few moments ago. I think it was at the, and I don't know, maybe the other angels had been told to hang back. Maybe it's Gabriel's turn. Maybe it's Gabriel's thing to go down. I think the angels were like, they were like, it was just one of those things where they were being held back. And then all of a sudden, there's the baby, when that baby is born, and that first cry, and that's it. They can't handle it anymore. They go nuts. If you, if you want an illustration of this, if you were watching the Oklahoma OSU game last week, and you saw... You saw the Cowboys fans come out of the stands and tear down the goalposts. That is what the angels are doing. They are tearing down the goalposts here. Why? Because God's plan has happened. But of all places to tear down the goalposts were shepherds. Shepherds were outcasts. They were considered ceremonially unclean, and because they had to be out in the fields, they couldn't go to the temple and become clean. So they were completely outcasts. Did you know the shepherds were so, so much outcast that their testimony was not received in court? If a shepherd saw something had happened, he or she couldn't go to court and testify because shepherds were automatically excluded from court. You know, if the angels wanted to tear down the goalposts, they could have done it six miles away in Jerusalem at the temple or at the palace. If they, if they wanted to party or demonstrate, they could have done it there, but they did it with shepherds. There's something that you and I should know about Christmas, and this is big. In Christmas, God, this is so hard to say, it's hard for me to even frame the words. In Christmas, God humbles himself. God humbles himself. That's something that a lot of you and I can't do. We can never accept injustice because we're too important to be treated unfairly. We can't say I'm sorry to people we've hurt because we're too important to say I'm sorry. We can't accept less than what we're worth because we're too important. We should demand our space and demand our rights. 
How odd that such frail, flawed people can't humble themselves when the master of the universe humbled himself in unbelievable ways. And, and, and I, could, I, I showed to you how the angels came and did this with shepherds. That, that's just a, a minor example of what God did. Let me read to you from my, one of my, well, this is my favorite book in the Bible and one of my favorite places. Philippians 2 verse 7. This is about Jesus. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. How many ways can God show that he wants to connect with you and me? He was born to a peasant girl, born in a blue-collar home of a carpenter. He was born in a barn, laid in a feeding trough. The message of his birth, when the angels celebrated and tore down the goalposts, the message was given to shepherds, to people who were ceremonially unclean, people who couldn't even testify in court. Well, we want to say good for the shepherds. I mean, after all, well, that'd be really cool because you think you're, you're an outcast and all of a sudden God puts on this magnificent demonstration of millions of angels celebrating in your presence and telling you to go check out the Christ child. But we need to understand that they were terrified by this. We read that a moment ago in Luke 2.9. It says they were terrified. That doesn't say it all. For those of you who've been in church for a lot of years, you probably get annoyed with ministers who tell you what something means in Greek. Because after all, the New Testament was written in Greek. I'm going to tell you the Greek words for terrified, and you won't even need me to give you the definition, okay? It's two words put together. The second word is phobos, phobia. And the first word is mega. Now, listen, I deal with anxieties. I know what phobos or phobias are. But these guys weren't just phobos. They were mega phobos. <laughs> and put yourself in their place. I mean, they're just like going out there for a routine night to watch the sheep, and all of a sudden, boom! heaven explodes and millions of angels are out tearing down the goalpost in your presence telling you to go find the Christ child they were megaphobos the reason why I make that point is, is very practical let me tell you why how many of us if we thought we were going to encounter God would be megaphobos today <laughs> we, we, we talk about God in generic terms but that's because we don't plan to see him today <laughs> We, we talk about God being my best friend. We talk about God, you know, we love God. And we, we talk about God in, in rather generic terms. But if we thought we were going to encounter him in his greatness, we might be megaphobos. And, and, and here's the thing. That's a natural response. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he was in the presence of God, it blew him away. John, when he saw Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, and John knew Jesus. He'd been with him for three years. Are you kidding me? Jesus gave his mother to him on the cross. And yet when John turned around and saw Jesus in all of his glory, the Bible says John went over like a timber. So how many of us, if we were to encounter God with all of his magnificent glory, not covered in human flesh like Jesus was, but how many of us, if we knew we were going to encounter God, we'd be megaphobos? Well, that's reasonable, but here's the beautiful thing. It's not what God wants. Listen to what the angels were told by the, uh, what the angels told the shepherds. This is in Luke 2.10. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be megaphobos. I bring you good news that will bring joy, I like this, to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. Well, that was the news that unleashed the party, and all the angels came down after that. And then the angels said something that could be said for the first time in human history. 
In Luke 2.14, the angel said, peace on earth. Peace. Scholars tell us that word peace means three things. It means friendliness. When God came to our world, he came not with a clenched fist to hit us, but he came with an open hand to, to call us, to pull to us. He, he offers us friendliness. He offers us freedom. Secondly, freedom from harm. And then thirdly, there's a sense of rest and quietness. That's what that word peace means. In the last few moments of my talk today, I want to talk to you about two kinds of peace that God offers you and God offers me. And here is why Jesus is not just one among religions. Here is why he is who he is, because only he can offer you these two things. Number one, peace with God. Peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, we learn something that's kind of surprising to us. The Bible tells us there was a time when we were God's enemies, now, for some of you, you when, when I tell you that there was a point in your life when you were God's enemy, you're saying, yeah, Mark, that's true. I mean, I'm bad at the bone. There was a time when I cursed God. I, I slept around. I drank. I partied. I shot up. I, you know, I didn't have any time for God. So, yeah, you're right. There was a time when I was God's enemy. But there's some of us who would say, well, Mark, I don't remember ever being God's enemy. I never had bad feelings toward God. And yet the Bible says there was a time when we were God's enemies. The fact of the matter is, we were born wearing the wrong jersey. We were born on the wrong team. Let me give you an example. Take World War II, for instance. After Pearl Harbor, we declared war on the Japanese. Do you think that every Japanese man who put on a uniform who fought against the United States, do you think that every Japanese soldier had bad feelings toward the United States? Do you think that every Japanese soldier thought Pearl Harbor was a good idea? I doubt it. There were people who probably had absolutely nothing against the United States, but somebody else did something in their name. And as a result, they wound up wearing the wrong uniform. They wound up on the wrong side. And that's what happened with you and me, because Adam and Eve, they were captains of our team, and they did something, and they, they rebelled against God. And because of that, all the people who were part of their race wound up wearing the wrong uniform on the wrong team. And let's not rip Adam and Eve too much because we have our own rebellion against God. I got a long personal rap sheet myself. We were born on different sides. But remember, when Jesus came to earth, what was the message? Peace on earth. Peace with God. When we were enemies. Well, let's just read this. This is so wonderful. And I want to take it slowly, even though we're close to running out of time. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have what? Peace with God. God. Now, don't read that too fast. Let's just look at what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, therefore, since we have done right, we have peace with God. That's the message of religion. Religion says if you do right, you'll have peace with God. But who among us, let's be real, who among us can do right enough? I can't and you can't. You'd have to be perfect. You say, Mark, I've done this, I've done that, I'm, you know, I've, I've gone through this class, I've been through this baptism, I've learned these things. Hey, take a look at who you really are when nobody else is looking and think about what's in your mind and what you would have done if you could have gotten by with it. And I think we all know we can't have peace with God by doing right. But that's not what the verse says. The verse says, since we have been made right, how? Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. See, that's, the, that's why the angels tore down the goalpost. 
They knew we can't be right with God by what we do. So what did God do? He sent his son into the world to do right for us. And that way we can be made right. And I like this. Because here's the thing. As a Christ follower, and I've been one since I've been eight. You know what? I'm still not right in my own sight. Because I know me, and I know how I still come up short. And sometimes I wonder, how could God love me? Sometimes I'm still not right in my own sight. But notice this, the Bible says, we've been made right in God's sight. It's not how I look at me, it's how God looks at me. It's not how, God, how you look at you, it's how God looks at you. And it's not because of what you've done. You've been made right in God's sight by faith. Now you have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for you. Are you kidding me? That is awesome. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place, I have these words emphasized in my notes, of undeserved privilege where we now stand. That means our our current condition. What's my current condition right now? I don't deserve it, but I've been made right in God's sight because of what Jesus has done for me. And I'm just standing in all this undeserved privilege. I can walk right in and talk to God anytime. I can talk to God at 3 o'clock in the morning. And God cares about me and he cares about you. Oh, this is awesome. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. Right, right at that moment when he came into our world and the angels went nuts. Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Somebody could say, well, Mark, what happens if I screw it all up in the future? Verse 9, and since we've been made right in God's sight... Again, not by us. Since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So we're not having to worry about hell in the future. That's been taken care of by Jesus. So now, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ, oh, look at this, has made us friends of God. Adam and Eve, our first parents, made us enemies. Jesus came in. Are you, you see why I'm saying happy holidays doesn't cut it for me? I mean, you just tell me what New Year's is going to do for me like this. I mean, you know, I, I, I appreciate Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. But that's not going to do this for me. Only Jesus can make me God's friend by what he did for me on the cross, even though I don't deserve it. The Bible says now we can rejoice. We can be happy even though we're failures in in, in so many things. We can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I'm God's friend. Do I deserve it? No. Have I done anything to get it? No. Should I go to hell? I can't speak for you. For me, yes. But I'm not going. Because God sent his son Jesus into the world. He died on the cross for me. And through that, he paid for my sins. And he made me God's friend. And God is my friend, my best friend. I have peace with God. I'm wearing the right jersey now. I'm on the right team. But secondly, I have a new potential. Because of that wonderful new relationship we just read about, we can now have the peace of God. Favorite book in the Bible for me, as I said a moment ago, is Philippians. Being ADHD, it only has four chapters. <laughs> Listen to these words. You say, Mark, how, what do you, where do you get this peace of God thing? Just, just watch. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard. Okay, look at that word guard. It means garrison. It means like having a whole bunch of soldiers around. Will garrison, look at this, your hearts, that means your emotions, and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I'm God's friend, but there's a whole new battlefield, and that's my emotions and my thinking. And anxieties are big in my life. And maybe you don't struggle with anxieties, but I got to tell you, it's my biggest issue. You show me something, I can tell you what to worry about. You show me a positive thing, a great scenario, and I can tell you the caveats and the issues that could come up. That's just me. That's, my, that's how I'm tuned. And I wish I weren't, but I am. And, and, the, and, and the battlefield is my emotions and my thinking. So here's what the Bible says to me. Mark, you're enjoying a wonderful new relationship that you don't deserve. You have peace with me, so take that off the table right now. You can't go to hell, and you're going to heaven. So you're living down here on the earth with all these issues. So here's what you got to do with those issues, Mark. You need to bring, God is saying, bring them to me. Bring them to me, and bring them to me with thanksgiving. Ask me for anything. God is, you know, some people say, I don't want to bother God. That's the wrong way to look at it. God says, bring everything to me. Just everything is hassling you. You know, if it's over your head, it's under his feet. Just bring it to him. God says, bring your issues to me and leave them there. And then God says, you know what? You're going to have the peace. And, and I heard this, so many times I heard ministers talk about this, and they, they, mis, they mishandled the text, and I've done it myself. And when I was studying for this talk, it finally clicked with me. I used to hear about the peace that passes understanding, and I always heard ministers say, if you do this, you will have a peace that will be so strange Nobody else can understand how you have this peace. It freaks people out. Their understanding will not be able to comprehend your peace. Well, that's true by inference, but that's not, that's not what, what the text is saying here. The Bible is saying that the peace that God gives you surpasses understanding. The word means it's like a king or queen would hold himself or herself superior in a room. What the Bible is saying is the peace that God gives holds itself as superior above human understanding. All the light bulb went on. When things go wrong, as they always do in our lives, what is it that we want to do? We want to understand. We want to know why it happened. We ask God, why did this happen? Why did my marriage fall apart? God, why did my kids not behave? God, why did this happen? Why did they, my job go to, to another country? God, why do I have health problems? And, and we ask God for understanding. We want to make sense of it all. And when we can't make sense of it all, the next question that we ask is, where is God? I'm that way. If things go wrong in my life, I want to understand. I want to make sense. But... I came to a place as I prepared for this message that really helped me. If I did understand, it wouldn't make much difference. If I understood the grand scheme of it all and the grand reasoning of it all, people I love would still get sick. I would still get sick. I, people I love would die, still die. I would still die. The world would still be broken. If, if I understood everything that, if I understood all the grand reasoning behind everything, I'm not going to stop bad things from happening. I mean, think about that. We're so, we're so desperate to understand, but what would it matter if we did understand? 
The, that's why the Bible says the peace that God will give you holds itself superior to human understanding because we say, wait a minute, I don't understand why this happened and I don't know why it went wrong, but I do know this. I have taken it to God and I've taken it to the God of the universe. And if he can work out all my issues and make a way for me to have peace with him, he can work out my problems and I can have peace even if I don't understand. I was trying to think of a way of explaining the peace of God because peace of God doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. It means you have peace in the midst of problems. I have really simple taste. I, you know, I don't know that I've ever really craved being rich. But several years ago, I was just sort of performing a mental exercise. When you're ADHD like I am, you just, your mind goes all kinds of places. you know. And, and I was thinking one day, what, what luxury would I buy for myself if I were really rich? What if I had all kinds of money? What luxury would I buy for myself? And like I say, I have simple tastes. I don't like, I mean, I like simple food. And I don't want to own a vacation home because first of all, I don't want to take vacations because I love what I do is narcotic. I don't like taking time off. It's a challenge for me to do that. It's a hard thing for me to find a hobby I like that rises to the rush that I get from getting to do my job. And you can tell I'm not a real close hand in person. Um, and I figured it out. If I were rich, there was one thing I'd buy for myself. I would buy Bose noise reduction headphones. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> just letting you in my world. Because, I, you know, and I, don't, I just thought if I were rich, that's all I would buy. I would buy Bose noise reduction headphones because they're so expensive, I would never spend the money on them myself. And they're serious as gifts. And it kind of fits for me because about... Three or four years ago, I remember a friend here at New Spring who's been so kind to me through the years. He gave me a gift bag and he said, I have a Christmas gift for you. So I went home and opened, I think it, I didn't even open it until middle, middle, middle afternoon. And I, I found that bag and I went and opened it up and I had never told anybody this. I, didn't, I mean, I was just driving in my car, just me and God. And I opened it up and guess what was in there? Bose noise reduction headphones. So now I am certifiably rich. <laughs> You know, I love Bose noise reduction headphones. I'm mean, on an airplane someplace, or I can be where all kinds of noises in the background, and I can put these bad boys on, and I can listen to music, and it shuts out all of the junk so I can hear what's really important. That's how the peace of God works. It shuts out all the junk so that you can hear God in your life was really important. Wow, what a gift, what a gift. Let me go somewhere for a moment. Do you have peace with God? I'm talking to some of you, you've been trying to climb the religion ladder all your life and it's left you just as frustrated as it left me. God don't want you to climb the ladder, he wants you to go to the cross. He wants you to go to the manger. He wants you to, by faith, think about God's plan in your life so that you could have peace with God. It's what Jesus did, not what you do. Would you be willing to just let go of what you do? Would you, would you, let, would you be willing to quit trusting in you and put your trust in Jesus? Would you be willing, by faith, to invite him into your life to be your savior and your king? If you would, do you realize that God would wash all your sins away? I mean, the blood that flowed out of Jesus' body was the currency that paid for your sins. 
He would wash your sins away. He would make you his child, and you would have peace with God. You'd be wearing the right jersey. All because of a gift. All because of Jesus. I abandon all my hope in me. I put all my trust in Jesus. That's eternal life. And only there is eternal life. Would you be willing? Say, how, Mark? How do you receive a gift? When my friend put that gift bag in my hands, he held it out to me, and I received it. Boy, if I'd known what was in it, I'd have really taken it. You know? <laughs> That's how you need to receive salvation today. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer with you that calls out to Jesus, and you can pray it with me because it's not the words that are all that important. It's what you mean in your heart. You ready? Let's do it. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me unconditionally. I believe you came into the world so that I could have peace with God. I, I don't trust in myself anymore. I put all my confidence in you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Forgive me. Make me God's child in Jesus' name.